0: your division 2 champions Grand Valley State Congratulations to the Lakers for the sixth time in program history they are the national champions Grand Valley has its third national championship in 4 years Grand Valley State celebrating a national championship in division 2
1: Stand for a podcast presented by the Grand Valley Sports Network Hi again, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Anchor Up! Podcast. Jake Levy, Tim Knott back with you once again. Today is Thursday, October 22nd. And practice is back. The GBSU football team put on the helmets for the first time this week. They'll be in full pads by the time this week comes to a close. Certainly an exciting time across Grand Valley State Athletics as they ramp up towards the winter. We're also going to talk about the NCAA announcing some new eligibility rulings for Division II winter sports. The MLB World Series is underway. We've also got to recap that golf outing that Tim and I participated in last week. So a lot to get to this week. We also have Steve Lyon, the legendary GVSU baseball coach, on with another great conversation. All of that and more coming your way over the next hour or so. The Anchor Up podcast is presented by Metro Health, the official sports medicine provider of GVSU athletics. Your health,
0: our passion. And Tim, welcome to the show. How you doing? Great, great. I had an outstanding week. It's great to have practice back. The, you can just sense across the athletic side of campus. I can't speak for the other side of campus. We don't cross the road too much. Um, but the athletic side of campus, in terms of where we are, it's great to see the kids out. You can see their renewed energy. There's a little bit more pep in their step. They're practicing. Even though they're not practicing for the fall sports for, per se, any competition uh, s- you know, soon, they know that they're preparing for something. And that's, that they're just having a lot of fun. Um, practicing and getting back out there in the field that's right the football team put the
1: helmets on for the first time and tim you and i were out there for a good bit of practice there on tuesday and boy that energy even though all it is is kind of some walkthroughs and maybe going through your lineups and going through a couple of little drills and catching the ball for the first time you could still sense that football's back and that's a big
0: deal to a- those guys absolutely and what and, and talking to coach mitchell um the night after their first practice Uh, When they did go to 7-on-7, they did get quite competitive. Uh, Those guys are competing for the first time. They got two spring practices in the spring of of 20 before they were shut down. And so they really have been away from football-related activities since um, uh, early March. Yeah, we don't Um, quite
1: know what the spring schedule is going to look like. We know there's some talks about playing some other schools if that's possible. We know that they're trying to get to the 2021 schedule as soon as possible as well. So pretty soon that carrot is going to get placed on the end of the stick again. But like you said, right now, I mean, even just hitting each other is better than having to just be in the weight room and lift and condition and do basically just dry routes and nothing (laughs) that really feels like football.
0: They're competitors and they want to play. And that's the the thing. The, the, The nugget there is is, is playing the games, you know, during the year. where well, They don't have that right now. but So now they're competing against each other, and you're seeing those competitive juices flow uh, when they're going, you know, the DBs are going against the wide receivers, and they all want to make, make themselves look good, and they want to compete and, and, and you know, catch the ball and, and get the deflection as a DB. So um, from the football side, you know, basketball's back to practicing. their 5 five-on-five with masks on. Uh, volleyball's in action. Soccer has had a couple scrimmages, uh, cross country. Um, they obviously they go out and run a lot, so you know. And then you have the other sports like baseball, lacrosse, softball, competing tennis, uh, just going through their, their practices, and for tennis the challenge matches, and and b- baseball and softball, uh, just competing in the field and, and getting that game like atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I think a, a lot of the coaches across Grand Valley have done a really good job, Tim. I know soccer has played a couple of scrimmages. Volleyball is going to do so coming up in November. Tennis had their black versus blue showdown. Golf has been super competitive amongst their players as well. Finding a way to create competition when the external competition isn't there.
0: Well, yeah, you know, just recently, uh, Charlie DeLong uh, tied the course record at the Meadows in a just a practice round, shot a 64. We were talking about, oh my gosh, imagine a 64. He shot a 30 hey, on the front I nine. Know, I know, he eagled two holes on the front nine, and Charlie's now an standing golf with the Gleek Freshman of the Year last year. Um, so, yeah, you know, those kids are competitors they want to play and then and they get those that that's what they came here for they came here to go to school and get that you know education but they also came here to to, uh, uh, compete athletically and excel you know athletically
1: speaking of excelling athletically we've talked a lot about nick kaiser this year getting his way into the nfl and the big moment for him on Monday night, it wasn't the actual Monday night football game on ESPN, but a nationally televised Monday night game nonetheless. Gets his first catch of his NFL career from Patrick Mahomes. That was a pretty cool moment.
0: Yeah, it was. You know, and Nick has worked so hard, and, and he's he's heavily involved in that run game. And they ran the ball for almost 300 yards, I think, uh, uh, in, the, in that game. You know, he's heavily involved in that. And he was an outstanding blocker here at Grand Valley. That's what really spurred the Chiefs' interest in him. Uh, you know. When he was on the practice squad at, with the Ravens in college, he was an outstanding inline blocker. He goes to the Ravens, is on their practice squad. The Chiefs picked him up off that practice squad, and that's what he excelled at last year when he was on the Chiefs practice squad. And then when they had some injuries, he filled that void and took advantage of the situation, and he has turned that into seeing a lot of playing time.
1: The Anchor Up podcast is brought to you in part by NovaCare, the official sports medicine provider. Of GVSU Athletics, also brought to you in part by PNC Bank, the official bank of GVSU Athletics. PNC Bank for the achiever in you. We talked about Charles Delong at the Meadows this week. Last week, though, some amateurs got a chance to take the course as we participated in that GVSU. Yeah, no, more amateur than Charles Delong. Yeah, got to take place in that one as part of the GVSU fall fundraising golf outing. And by the way, a big thank you to everybody that came out and participated in that over 15 flights. Participating, It was great to see a bunch of sponsors and friends of GVSU Athletics out there for a fun Friday. It was chilly, but it was still a lot of fun. And, Tim, you've got to go ahead and tell us how your one-time-a-year, you've said it numerous times, you are the best one-time golfer in America. After last week, do you still hold that claim?
0: No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, it's been a few years uh, since I swung a club. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm not the best one-time-a-year golfer. There might be a club pro somewhere that, you know, just really doesn't, you know, get out that much that would that would beat me but it was a lot of fun but talk about the weather we had every kind of weather I mean, we had sleet I think maybe that sleet was snow hurricane winds the sun came out for a while the temperature was cold we were delayed for two hours due to frost we saw everything uh but we persevered f- the adversity of the weather uh it was a lot of fun you know I hit some sh- good shots I hit some bad shots hit some really bad shots and I hit I some shots that were maybe better than good uh but I just realized that I, I, I am not the best one-day golfer uh, in the United States. I, that, so that that realization it's hit a tough me realization after for you. Yep. that realization hit me after my tee shot on the opening hole. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's only up from there though. Yeah, I don't. I, don't uh, I never
1: mind a bad tee shot on one because yeah, that means it's only well, going to get better. I'm usually nervous when I have a really good tee shot on one because then I set the expectation well, for myself, and I know I'm not going to live up. You know, to
0: it. You know, we had some video. We had some individuals doing video out there, and and. I'm just not good on video. You know, Maria, oh, couldn't Maria was pressure, doing video. Huh? Yeah, I kind of succumbed to the pressure. See, that's
1: interesting because when I participated in rec league softball, you wanted videos of me and expect me to live up well, let's to that it, hype. Let's and get you, into that. And you didn't put the pressure on me of having the video on me when I was taking my at-bats. Now, mind you, I still went two for four, you two did. RBIs, and remember Couple everybody. More. And not only did I do that, I helped, in my opinion, that team, which yesterday claimed a <laughs> championship <laughs> in the rec softball league to a title. So do I yes. get a ring?
0: Uh, yeah, we have to ask Mitch. Mitch, is there are there, are you guys going to get rings? Um, no rings. No, no rings. Trophy. Just a big trophy. It was a big trophy. Picture. Big trophies. Uh, <laughs> Picture. Mitch Crafton, oh, who works in the office, uh, his rec league softball team uh, named Big Bats. By the way, I mean, you played. Are there Big Bats in the lineup? When I played, yeah. Ah, huh? yours? <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the big bat. That's so, right. um, yeah, Mitch was able to claim the office championship. He he really came through. You know, we we pride ourselves and. And, you know, we went out and did some home run derby to get you ready for the doubleheader a week ago. That's right. And uh, so we pride ourselves on being good athletes in the office. And and uh, Mitch Mitch pulled the office through this uh, through this tournament. They won, won two games. You know, in a,
1: in a fall of 2020 when we don't have competition, we were starved for a championship we in the field house. We got one. And we got one. We got it. So we still find a way to pull a trophy. And so yeah. a big shout-out to Mitch Ashcraft and the big bats for winning their rec league softball game. Uh, group there yesterday congratulations to him the anchor up podcast brought to you in part by Earhart construction the official construction company of the grand valley sports network also brought to you in part by homewood suites grand rapids enjoy all the comforts of home at the only extended stay hotel in downtown grand rapids elsewhere in ncaa news some word dropping this week from the eligibility council that division two winter sports will Keep eligibility regardless of how many games are played this season. Up until this point, the official word had been if you played 50% of your scheduled games or less, you would maintain your eligibility. Now it's no matter what, this year is a wash, so everybody gets to keep their eligibility going forward. And it's great for the kids that they get to for sure get a championship season again out of this, and they don't really have that harboring. Do I try to force this year and take a chance and risk it? Everyone can now go full bore, knowing they at least get to keep their eligibility if they want.
0: Right. You, you feel great about that for the kids. Um, uh, we're going to have some expanded rosters. Yeah, it's going to create some issues elsewhere. You know, we were we were talking about football here recently. Um, football is going to have next fall in the fall 21. Um, they're going to have three groups of freshmen who have yet to – take a snap in a college football game. You're going to have the, the kids that are redshirt freshmen this year, they're going to be redshirt freshmen again next year. You're going to have the kids who are true freshmen this year, they'll be a true freshman again next year. And then you're going to have the kids that we're recruiting right now, the, f- the, be the be signing class, that will year. be true freshmen as well. Yeah. You're going to have s- literally three years of freshmen. You're going to have six classes in a uh, on a team, literally, uh, for, all, for basically all sports now, you know, Basketball, obviously, you're going to you're swimming and diving, track and field. There's going to be some, you know, some, uh, some massaging of the numbers in terms of, you know, money. I mean, there's some, these kids are on money. Where's that money going to come from? You know, there's also going to be the
1: interesting dynamic. You're going to have kids from the age of basically 17 <laughs> <Yeah>. to 25 <laughs> yeah, right. on the same right. roster. It's going to be yeah. look very, very different
0: but it, as it, those locker rooms expand. You, but you, you. you You do feel good for the kids because they're going to get that chance to compete. You know, a lot of kids lost basketball championship opportunities, swimming and diving opportunities, track and field last winter. Uh, Spring sports, again, didn't compete in terms of their travels. They got a a few regular season games in. Um, Fall sports this year, obviously no championships. Winter sports now, you know, we're waiting to see what kind of championship they're going to have because you're going to have a league-only schedule for the most part, dummy down into probably, you know, we've talked about, you know, 12 to 18 games maybe for for basketball. Um, But, you know, again, we're starved for sports. We can't wait until we can get busy again with those events. That's what we strive for. That's that's what makes our job fun is is the events and the road trips and and getting to hang out with the student athletes and, and watch them compete.
1: Absolutely, and by the way, we don't know what attendance will look like yet. We don't know what schedules will look like yet, but we can tell you that home events, we have you covered with the Grand Valley Sports Network. WatchGVSN.com will be your home for all of our Laker home events, so you can watch the Lakers participate, even if you can't come to campus to watch those games. All of that still to be decided as to what the schedule will look like, as to what attendance is going to look like, and all of those things we will relay to you. Of course, if you're listening to us, you probably know how to find us, but at GVSU Lakers on social media and gvsulakers.com, we'll have all the breaking information as we get anything pertaining to schedules, attendance, all of those things that will go into the fall sports playing in the spring, as well as the spring seasons and the winter sports as well. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. Almost time to get to Steve Lyon with a great interview with him. Before we do, though, time for our Lakers spotlight presented by... By Ziegler Automotive. This week's Lakers senior spotlight is Justin Scavarda, a thrower on the GVSU track and field team. Scavarda is a seven-time Nationals qualifier and three-time USTFCCA All-American, as well as an all-region selection and two-time GLIAC champion. He earned Indoor All-America honors in the shot put and weight throw for the 2019-20 season and was poised for a big outdoor season as well before it was cut short. The Mason, Michigan native is also a GLIAC all-academic performer. And, Tim, you know uh, Justin pretty well from his family on down. I,
0: I do know Justin well. He's from Mason, Michigan. I grew up in Holt, Michigan. Big rivals. Um, and Justin's dad, uh, Pete, and myself went to high school together. We uh, were um, uh, went to grade schools. that he, he, he grew up in Diamonddale. I grew up in Holt, uh, but Diamonddale went to Holt Public Schools, and so we, in sixth grade, when we all went to the junior high, got to got to know Pete, and he was a life lifelong friend through um, through high school, and we had a lot of, a lot of fun together. And it was funny when when Jerry Baltus mentioned he was bringing. A, a, Guy named Justin Scavarda on, on a recruiting trip, and I said Scavarda. I said, really? I said, Where's he from? He said Mason. And so I was like, hmm, well, Let me know when he's here. Like like, I, I might know his dad. So as soon as I saw Pete walk up with Justin on the recruiting trip, uh, sure enough, it was it was Pete, and I had a great conversation with him. Justin's a great young man. Uh, had some labor and sh- surgery in the in the off season. Is healthy and uh, doing very well.
1: That is our Lakers senior spotlight presented by Ziegler Automotive. Justin Scavarda a thrower on the GVSU indoor and outdoor track and field teams. All right, it's time now to get to our interview. This was a great conversation with Steve Lyon, told some awesome stories, got to hear a lot of his philosophy, won over 550 games as the GVSU baseball coach over his 14-year career, a 2018 inductee into the GVSU Hall of Fame and the 2004 runner-up at the NCAA College World Series. So here he is, Steve Lyon, our guest interview brought to you by Coors Light, reminding you to drink responsibly distributed locally by Alliance Beverage. All right, here he is, Steve Lyon. And with that, we welcome on the legend, Steve Lyon, former baseball coach here at Grand Valley State. And Steve, we appreciate you coming all the way to the Fieldhouse for this. You know, there was a different energy in the hallways when you were walking through. Everybody came out of their offices, it seemed like, (laughs) coming out of the woodwork to come see you. How does it feel to be back here?
2: It is nice to be back. I don't get back very often, especially with the COVID thing going on. But um, we don't live that far away, so it wasn't that big of an inconvenience to come here today. And I certainly appreciate the offer. Well, we appreciate
1: having you here. You have 14-year career here at Grand Valley State, over 550 wins. It's going to be fun to reminisce on some of those with you. And So if you could just tell us a little bit of how you got to Grand Valley State for starters. You came from a school that was going D1 in Oakland. So what was the transition process like? How did you wind up at GV?
2: Yeah, I was at Oakland for actually 10 years. Five The first five I was an assistant coach there, and the last five I was the head coach. And um, in year three of my head coaching um, gig at Oakland – they made the decision to go Division One, so I was in the middle of that transition, and it didn't look real good for the baseball program going <laughs> D1 <in>, and <laughs> at Oakland. Uh, the conference they were going into was widespread, and a lot of a lot of travel involved. The budget wasn't going to be increased enough to cover it all, so I think the baseball program was going to be left hanging to raise enough money to make those trips. And you know, you always try to raise money for spring trips, but now you're raising money for conference trips too so it was basically made for basketball I think at Oakland um, and uh, it just wasn't the greatest situation and I, you know of course we were in the GLIAC before we made that transition move so I knew you know the conference schools like Grand Valley and we'd been out here and I saw the facility uh, to some extent before um, the job opening uh, became apparent and so I decided to apply and. I came out here for my first um, interview with uh, Tim Selgo and got a tour of the facility, and I was more impressed than before because before we just came and played baseball and then turned around and went back to, to Rochester. So they showed me the whole facility, and I was increasingly excited about the possibility and lucky enough to be selected to, to come out here and be the head coach. So it was one of the best moves we made. Um, my kids were grown, so it was kind of an empty nest thing. So packed up the dog and the wife and um <laughs> and we moved out here and we just love the west side of the state now. It's um it's fantastic and um you know, now that we've retired, both of us um you know, we've settled in and this is our retirement area and we love it. You did something
1: that's really incredible in taking a northern school and turning it into a perennial power. What are some of the challenges of being a northern school and competing in a spring sport like baseball?
2: Well, number one is the weather, of course. <laughs> um, you have to convince guys that, um, you know, by the time we get to May and, uh, you know, postseason play, it's going to be nice. So we just got to battle through the March and the April games sometimes. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I think that it develops a little bit of a toughness in the in the players when they play through that weather. Um so I think it gave us an advantage when we got to the postseason and played teams from down south that, you know, maybe weren't quite as mentally tough to play in bad weather if it came up or, or whatever situation came up. So um and the other thing is just um, you know, you have to get out and get the talent. Um, you know, and that's always a that's always a challenge. Uh but Grand Valley had a great reputation. Football program was doing well and uh, so it wasn't like we were going into homes and trying to convince them to come to this unknown school. They knew about Grand Valley. We just needed to convince them that the Grand Valley baseball program had a chance to be successful just like the football program had been. So we, um, we got on our horses and did some recruiting, and it took a while. It took three or four years to get to the, to a regional um, position, and then um, we just kept building uh, better talent. And the kids became you know, accustomed to winning. And then once you've won, it's a little easier sell to get kids to come um, to players. Um, they want to play in postseason. They want to have a chance to play for national championships and regional championships and things. So um, once we got there, um, it became a little bit easier to convince players that this was going to be a winning situation. And, you know, the ones that came wanted to win, not for personal satisfaction. They wanted to win as a team. So we, um, we rode that. And we continued to um you know to build upon that and um you know, we were lucky in some cases and fortunate to get some players that turned out to be really good players.
0: One thing you did when you when you started here, you really went out and, and you you played a tough schedule. You you basically barnstormed through Missouri. I remember the one year we played at central Missouri, we played at Emporia State. Uh, Pitt State and those were all really good teams in that region and were World Series teams. Is, it, is that something that you wanted to build early on is going to play a tough schedule?
2: Yeah I think so you know again <clears throat> we weren't worried about our, our preseason, so to speak pre-conference record as much as trying to get our team ready to play so the year you're talking about uh, we went to Joplin Missouri for our spring trip which isn't Doesn't sound great, but they have a great facility there, kind of an old-school coach who was a great guy. And um, so we played um, teams there, and then we went up to Central Missouri and played actually in a doubleheader one day. We played Central Missouri and Emporia State. And uh, this was 2004, which was a good year for us, but um, we really got beat up in that series. I don't know if – I can't remember the exact scores, but it was probably 30 – They scored 30 runs between them, and we probably scored five. Um, So we came back um, understanding where we needed to get to, and to uh, the players' credit, they continued to work hard. And we got to a good place, and 2004 turned out to be a really good year for us.
1: I'm assuming the last road trip of the year was much more fun than that one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, going to Montgomery, Alabama for the national championships was great. And, uh, yeah, a lot more fun, and, and, you know, we had a little more success there.
1: What's your favorite memory from the College World Series?
2: Um, probably the first year um, because it had been since a struggle and Grand Valley had never been there. So 2003, we had a bunch of guys that had gone through a losing record, and then we got to the regional in 2002 and got beat twice quickly. Uh, and then 2003, just I remember we hosted the um, this, the regional that year and i just remember um you know winning the last game and uh, securing our trip to the world series it was just um it was like an accumulation of a lot of effort from all of us and um you know the dog pile in the middle of the field was really special that year uh, we went back a few other times but that one kind of comes to mind as the you know the first um and probably the you know the most satisfying one that we had
1: We're going to talk about more of those great moments throughout your career here in a bit, but I want to go back to something because one of your philosophies, as I've been told anyway, was the JUCO route. You like to go for a lot of those guys that played two years at a junior college, and you kind of pioneered that. If you could kind of explain your philosophy behind that and how you found so much success with it.
2: Yeah, that's a good question, and we did. Um, When I was at Oakland, we played um, University of North Alabama on on a trip that we took, and I remember getting beat up really bad by a three-game series. And um, and talking to the coach afterwards, and he showed me his roster, and it was like 26 out of 29 players were JUCOs. And I said, okay, maybe Division II is, you know, that's what you need to do to become successful at the national level. So we started really, um, and there's a lot of good junior colleges around us. And uh, so we started hitting the junior colleges harder, including Grand Rapids Junior College, who had been extremely successful, um and we got I remember stopping my first trip to to Grand Valley um we had a trailer full of furniture and my wife and the dog in the car and I said well I gotta stop here for a minute and talk to coach Wabick at Grand Rapids so I I parked alongside the road ran in and it took about two hours which I really you know heard about later (laughs) Uh, but we got like seven guys from his team that year uh, to come in next year and then we kind of you know built from that and Continued to go the JUCO route quite a bit.
1: How much of that is a reciprocity of you getting relationships with those JUCO coaches where you establish trust with each other?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because you don't see them all. You don't see the players all the time. So um, we would trust certain junior college coaches to give us an honest evaluation of their players. And they knew our program a little bit, so they knew what level we wanted to be at. So they weren't sending us guys that were part-time players at the junior college level. They were sending us good guys. Uh, we saw him play whenever we could, but a lot of times we just weren't able to go see him play. So I, I told my my wife the other day, I said, there's a story about a, a kid named Brandon McFarland who turned out to be really a good player for us, ended up being a captain, and he came from Kankakee uh, Junior College, and um, Todd Post was a the coach there, and I'd known him a long time, and uh, he recommended him. So I brought Brandon and his dad up for a visit, and I didn't know you know, them from Adam, so they were supposed to be at 10 o'clock in the morning or something up in the lobby, so I came up from my office, and I'm looking around, there's a black gentleman with a, you know, black son standing there in the middle, and I'm thinking, Brandon McFarlane, no way, so I'm looking around for this Irish red-headed kid (laughs) that I thought he was, and um, and then I finally said, well, process of elimination, they're the only two guys here, so it's got to be Brandon, Um, and it turned out to be great, so... You know, things like that that you just trust the coaches to give you, you know, um, an honest evaluation and then go with it. And then if it turns out good, then you, you know, continue to work with that program.
0: Talk a little bit about you also were able to interject those high school kids, though, because you wanted kids that were going to be invested for four years. And so you were able to kind of pick and choose those guys who really – stabilize the program as well because they were here four years and really felt invested. Absolutely.
2: I mean, we had a good mix. I thought guys like Joe Brunig and Tony Fennig who helped build our program were four-year guys that came out of high school, and um, we just kind of limited our high school recruiting to a uh, close enough area that we could go see and play. Um, not that I don't trust high school coaches, but a lot of times you just need to see them. Uh, the junior college guys were probably a little more widespread so we needed to trust um, some of those coaches a little bit more, but yeah, a nice mix of four-year guys and two-year guys, and we ended up, um, you know, finding that uh, balance between the two. And I think that helps con- the continuity of the program. Uh, so you're not turning over every two years with JUCOs. Um, you got some good four-year guys that develop into good players, and we certainly had our share of those.
1: I got a question for you. How was Tim as an official scorer?
2: Uh, uh, he was great as a special scorer. He's just bad as a back, um, uh, what do you call it, a guy that – Armchair uh, quarterback? Yeah, armchair quarter- <laughs> boundary morning quarterback, boundary-morning uh, quarterback. I could hear him out of the press. But what what are you doing, Lion? What are you doing? Uh, well, you
0: set those video cameras up there. Gordy Alderink, the p- pitching coach back then, would have these cameras to uh, take video of pitchers, and they'd be in the press box. And, of course, they'd leave the audio on. So we're up there. <laughs> yeah. We're up there, and, you know, Steve – has a guy round in third, gets thrown at home. What are we doing? What's going on? Yeah. And so and then Steve and Gordy go back and watch the pitchers, they'd, they'd hear our wisecracks up in the press box. Right,
2: right. But as an official scorer, he's great. Always a good homer to have. So.
0: Well, if you look at those batting averages back then. <laughs> uh, exactly. So you had a little play in there. Well, yeah, we had, some, we had some good beat batting averages. You had
1: some great years with runs of the College World Series, but maybe the best year was your second to last one in 2011. You guys won 50-plus games, an incredible season. If you could tell us a little bit about that season and kind of take us through what that season was like for you as a coach.
2: It was great. Um, I knew that, um, you know, it was coming to the end of my tenure here. I didn't know exactly when I was going to retire, but it wasn't going to be too long. And uh, we certainly had a great group of guys, um, and uh, we just got on a roll. We – you know, I think we only lost three games during the regular season, so um, it was it was tremendous. We had a lot of luck. I remember a game against Northwood; who wasn't a great team. Two outs in the seventh inning of a doubleheader game, so it was a seven-inning game, and um, we had a ground ball to their shortstop. Game over, right? But he booted it, and we ended up scoring three runs and winning the game. Those types of things just they happened, um, and we ended up winning 32 straight games, and going into the World Series, which I think probably looking back on it, um, I wish we'd have lost a game or two along the way because we kind of had that that streak hanging over us and everybody wanted to talk about it at the World Series and we were the number one seed and all this stuff and, um, you know, it didn't turn out really good at the World Series, but uh, so I guess, you know, some, sometimes that luck changes at the wrong time and it, it did there. That's the story
1: of baseball. I mean, we're seeing it right now in the World Series with the Tampa Bay Rays, the way it seems like just everything's gone right for them. As a coach in baseball, knowing that, of course, it finds a way of averaging out in such a long season. But baseball, there's so much that's out of your control. How do you kind of keep your teams level-headed? How did you keep the ebbs and flows down throughout a season?
2: Yeah, it's really important not to get too high or too low, and we preach about that all the time. So we never liked guys who were like football mentality, where you come off the bus banging your helmets and screaming and yelling. Um, we wanted guys who were more even keel and, um, we always talked about acting like you've been there before type of thing, whether it's a loss or a win. So, um, I think that helped and the players bought into it. Uh, coaches all felt the same way. So they're, they're hearing the same message from everybody. So I think it was a combination of those things and, um, understanding that, that baseball is certainly a game of failure. So you have to overcome the failures that happen and then, um, you know, try to improve upon it and try to eliminate as many of those failures as you possibly can, but understanding that they're going to happen.
0: During, oh, sorry, go ahead. During that 2011 season, which, um, you know, you had some tough decisions to make in that year. Uh, there was an individual who stopped going to class before the Gleak tournament, so you had to suspend him for the year. You put in Mike Phillips. Who ended up? Or Corey Phillips, excuse me. Who went, ended up having a great year? But there was a lot of adversity in that year. Beating Wayne State eight times. Yeah, I, know. I mean, you know, you go into the regional championship and thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is," you know, we've beat these guys seven times. You feel like you're better than they are, but just through the luck of baseball, you know,
2: you're, you're worried about that game. Yeah, the law of averages. We thought maybe it could catch up to us, but they didn't. Um, and Wayne State, being my alma mater, of course, that they even felt better beating them all eight <laughs> times that year. Uh, but you meet, you mentioned Corey Phillips. He stepped in and did a great job. He had a big home run in the regional um, to help us win a game and um, was certainly a big part of that team. So, you know, every time something happens, you just have to, you know, come together as a team and overcome it if you can, and uh, we were able to do that. Was that the regional down in normal? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Talk that,
1: about that experience of playing the normal Corn Belters Stadium and having a, like, a true neutral site kind of atmosphere out there. Yeah,
2: it was crazy. I, I never liked hosting the regional just because of all the off-the-field headaches that have to go with it. Um, it's nice being home, but, you know, it was kind of nice just being away from home too and just getting the team together. So it wasn't a big thing. We were number one seed that year, of course, but we um, we opted – I think it was maybe that was the year that they had to of lights, so yeah, yep, we had to go somewhere lights. else. And we thought, okay, well, that's not really close, but it's a you know. We went down there and looked at it, and they were nice enough to let us use their field. And um, a lot of foul territory. I remember that. It's a long, long walk from the dugout to the mound, which everybody complained about because I was never a fast walker, anyways. <laughs> so like, how long is it going to take them to get out and take a you know take a picture out of this game? But um, luckily, we didn't have to do that too many times. You played some other professional
1: ballparks as well. Tim was telling me you had some great experience at Fifth Third Bank Ballpark, Fifth Third Ballpark. What were some of those like?
2: Yeah, they were great. Um, Before they went to something else, uh, the Whitecaps used to come back from spring training and play an exhibition game against Grand Valley um, for their fans to come out and get used to the team. and it's like before their regular season started. So it was early April, and it was always fantastic to play at that facility. And certainly, fantastic to play. You know, the professional team. I mean, uh, you know, Nick. Nick, um, he's playing right field now for the Cubs, or yes. got traded. But anyways, he. Huh?
0: Nick Castellanos. Yeah, Castellanos yeah. was yeah. playing third
2: base for the White Caps that year, um, and uh, we had some great experiences playing in that facility. But what a nice ballpark!
0: Another trip you guys made, which uh, Tim Sogo always believed in, giving teams an opportunity to go overseas and. You know, volleyball went to uh, Germany, basketball went overseas to play, uh, both men and women. Cuba, uh, he arranged for a trip uh, to Cuba for the baseball team. It was a different time of year in terms of fall season was over. Talk about that whole process and and how much
2: fun it was to go over there and play. It was great, Um, and it was a long process. It probably lasted about a couple years to try to get it together. But I'd, I'd gone to Tim because it was our turn. Uh, to take an overseas trip, and um, Tim, being the great guy that he is, agreed that, you know, we could go. So then it was deciding, where do you want to go? And we thought, okay, how about Japan? Japan's big into baseball. But then we looked at the weather because we wanted to go in January. Mm -hmm. Um, The weather in Japan in January wasn't the greatest, um, so we wanted to go somewhere where it was going to be warm. Um, So Cuba came to mind, and then, you know, all the things. At that time, it was very difficult to get to Cuba, So we had to go through a lot of different avenues and um, a lot of hoops that we had to go through, but uh, between Tim and some other people we involved, um, we got, you know, permission to go there, and it was funny because they wanted to know what kind of team we had, of course, so they knew what kind of team to put together to play us. They didn't want to lose, Um, and we were coming off our... 2011 season, so I had to send them, okay, 52 and 5. So I sent them all the stats and stuff, and um, uh, so we went down there and played, you know, a three-game series, and, um, you know, it was different, of course. You eat in a restaurant, and um, you look down your feet, the dogs running through there all the time. (laughs) Every restaurant had dogs, which I'm a big dog person, maybe not in my restaurant, but... um, (laughs) It was time time and place for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it was fun. It was different. The culture was different. The kids got to see a lot of different um, ways of life. We did some some good work that we delivered some medicines to hospitals and stuff. So it wasn't all just baseball. In fact, we had a, a big bag of baseball equipment. We stopped at a sandlot field and... All the kids who were playing there came running up to us and surrounded us, and we're handing out balls and gloves and bats. And so, um, I think we were good ambassadors for uh, for the sport from the United States. Um, we ended up losing all three games. They were all fairly competitive, but they were good games. And um, they do play a different style of baseball. They they're so fluid and they're so confident in their abilities because they played since day one with Crappy equipment on crappy fields, and now they're they're on a nice field. It's like nothing. So all the fundamentals we try to teach up here, they don't they don't care about fundamentals. They just play the game because they're so good. And um, sometimes you see that even at the major league level. But um, it was a great experience, and I knew that, you know, I wanted to do it before I retired. And um, after that um, experience in the 2012 season, I decided that, you know, it was probably time to turn over the reins to someone else.
1: What were the crowds like at those games in Cuba?
2: Well, the first one was really good. The second and third games were just average, but I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 people maybe. What was the atmosphere like? It was uh, a little different. They a lot of noise, a lot of singing, a lot of banging on drums and garbage cans and whatever they could make noise with. And That's where the Astros got I was going to say
1: I'll plug in a Houston Astros Yeah, that's where came, the
0: Astros got
2: the garbage Yeah, game. yeah, maybe that's yeah. – <laughs> I don't think they were signaling signs, but um, – <laughs> It was different, and the stadiums were old but very big and nice, so it was kind of cool to play.
1: So that 2012 season becomes your last. What was it like for you when you eventually made that decision, came to peace with giving up the reins and turning it over?
2: Yeah, it was good. It felt like a relief. Um, I had been a head coach for that was my 19th year in a row, counting to five at Oakland. So, you know, as a head coach, you have a lot of responsibilities, of course. You make a lot of decisions, um, and especially when you're in the north uh, – Atmosphere and weather, you're always dealing with cancellations and rescheduling, and talking to other coaches that don't really want to play you for other reasons besides baseball, and that's always difficult to deal with. So um, once I made the decision, um, it was like okay, that that felt pretty good. <laughs> um, so we finished out the season, and um, you know we had a good year, not a great year, didn't get to the World Series, but um, had a good season and. I felt uh, really comfortable in the decision that I made. I was relatively young, only 60. I could have, you know, physically done it for a few more years. But I think mentally I was just probably done with making those decisions. And I didn't want to cheat the kids. I didn't want to cheat the program by not giving 100% that I've always felt like give, I've given. So, um I think the timing was, was perfect actually.
1: But I love that you stayed involved with the game because you went down to Rollins and continued to work with their spring training and continued to help out the D2 level. Tell us a little bit about that experience of going down to much warmer weather and playing with a true baseball powerhouse down there as well. Yeah, it was it was
2: great. The opportunity, uh, John Shogren is the head coach there. I'd known him for quite a while. He's coached at Bryant um, and he was at the World Series in 2004, the same year we were. So I got to know him then and stayed in touch with him and Went down and visited him every time we went to Florida, just to say hi and see their facility, which is a tremendous, you know, stadium and all the offices and locker rooms right at the stadium. So it's um, it's a lot different than coaching up here. Um, and he told me that when you retire, come down and sit on my bench and tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. Um, and but he's a good guy, and he allowed me to go down there and have some real responsibilities. Um, and I didn't have to, you know, be there all fall. I could just go down there for part of the fall practices and then go through the season with them. So it worked out extremely well, and it kind of kept me – kind of let me ease out of retirement a little bit instead of cutting it um, cold. So um, it's been a great experience. I've been down there six years now, and uh, I think with COVID, I'm probably not going to go down this year, but who knows what the future holds.
0: All right, let's talk about uh, spring trips. What's your – What's a memory of a spring trip that you'll never forget?
2: I want to see if we're on the same page. Uh, let me see. Uh, you got me off guard on that one a little bit. Um, I think, you know, it's probably not going to be on the same one as you are, but I think the ones to the Joplin, because um, we had gone down there for spring. You know, we wanted to have some warm weather, and we woke up to an ice storm, and uh, we got up and um, – you know, like I said, their coach was a great guy, and he's got his guys out in the field. They had the field tarp, but they're dumping ice off the tarp. And so the, the whole field was surrounded by ice, and it's the same field that Mickey Mantle played on when he was in the minor leagues. So it was an old park. Um, so I just remember talking to their coach and saying, geez, you know, we came down here for this. We could have done this back in Allendale. <laughs> um so it's not a great experience, but it's one that sticks in my mind a little bit.
0: All right, mine was Savannah, Georgia. How mad you were when the bus got stuck in the middle of the road.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I forgot about that. <laughs> and then the Thank bus driver you. had a heart attack. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah so it's was regret. the same trip. He had yeah. a heart attack, so he had to send on it. A yeah. new bus driver, so yeah. that was quite a trip.
0: But those are times when I know they they played for the Green Jacket, and you guys really did a great <laughs> job of uh, – of instituting things on the road and during that spring trip to bond as a team. And that was something that I always thought was interesting of how the guys really came together on those trips.
2: Yeah, actually, Doug Lipinski, who was our assistant coach, came up with the idea. He went into a (laughs) thrift store and found this beautiful green jacket. looked like the master's jacket. So um, we decided to play putt-putt, you know, for the green jacket for the next several years. And uh, Nate Barton, who was 6'11, left-handed pitcher that we had gotten from um, Alpena, Michigan. Um, actually, he's doing quite well now. I think he's a physician's assistant. He's doing great. But Nate won it one year, and we tried to put this jacket on 6'11 <laughs> guy. It didn't didn't really fit. Um, but uh, we had a good good experiences off the field, uh, for sure. And that,
0: and that's one thing that I think is really those guys. That era of baseball. Those guys are. Still in tune together. They still keep in touch. Um, and, and, that, and that's one, one thing you fostered is is treat your teammate the way you want to be treated. Right. Yeah, we always
2: try to treat everybody. I mean, you hear this all the time from coaches about treating number, your best player and your worst player the same. And uh, we really tried to do that. And we, got, we were lucky because sometimes our best player was the best guy. Like Cody Grice, for instance, mm-hmm. who's now an assistant coach here, by far our best player on the team. Also, not by far, but he's also the best guy. Um, so it's easy to treat everybody the same when your top guys are humble enough to accept that. Um, they don't expect special treatment. So Cody would be the first guy on the field and the last guy off picking up helmets and bats and put them in, you know, where they're supposed to be and stuff like that. So I think when you have that feeling and then... Um, you have those last guys that get opportunities to play, and you recognize what they do, whether it's in practice or in a game. Um, you kind of foster that a feeling of being in a family.
1: Steve, before I let you go, you spent a lot of time in the GLIAC, and you've played a lot of those similar teams over and over again in very important situations, whether it's for GLIAC championships, regional championships, et cetera. Is there a team that sticks out the most to you as the team that you were most excited to beat in those big moments?
2: Uh, I guess probably if you asked me that, it would be Ashland just because before we had gotten good, they were the team that was good. Um, And we always wanted to beat them because we felt that was a measure of our success. So, um, and it's always a difficult trip down there. You know, it's five or six hours on the bus and they're always well coached and they have good talent. And baseball was important to that school so you could see um, how that came through with the team. So I think... um, Probably playing against Ashland um, and and ended up, you know, beating them more than losing to them at the end was really a level of our success um, within the conference, and you know we we got a kid out of Ashland, uh, Matt Rayfeld who was one of our better pitchers, left hand pitcher, and um, you know ended up being a really good guy. We went down there and played him in a regional that they hosted one year, and we ended up having to come back out of the losers bracket and. We needed to beat them twice on Sunday, and Matt threw the first game. Um, after throwing the first game of the regional and winning, um, he came back on two days rest with a little bit of help from the good Lord who had a rain day, <laughs> which um, helped us get an extra day for Matt to rest. But um, And he pitched seven grade. I remember going out to get him after seven innings. Um, we had a decent lead. And he was struggling a little bit in the eighth inning. I wanted to get him, and I heard one of their fans say, why are you taking him out now? He's only thrown 340 pitches this weekend. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of nice to rub, not rub it in their noses, but (laughs) get a guy out of Ashland, Ohio that actually came back and and stuck it to him a little bit.
1: That's awesome. And a Gliak pitcher of the year at that. Mm -hmm. My last question for you, and I get this from our associate women's head basketball coach, Bill Sayers. He says, you cut him from the baseball team, and that led him to be getting into high school coaching. Do you remember that moment, and do you you ever talk to Phil about
2: it? I do talk to Phil uh, quite a bit, and he's a great guy. Um, And I I don't remember the exact moment I talked to him about (laughs) cutting him, to be honest, but I did feel one of the things I felt like, you know, sometimes coaches just put up a list and say these guys report for practice tomorrow, you know, and that's the way they cut. And I never felt good about that. I just felt like they deserve better than that. I mean, this is, you know, changing their life. You know, telling them they can't play college baseball, at least this year. So I always felt like I needed a one-on-one, face-to-face conversation with the guys that I cut. So I ended up doing that um, whenever I made cuts. So I'm sure I did it with Phil. Um, so maybe maybe that had some effect on his ability to turn himself into a great coach. I'm not sure, but um, I just felt like that, that personal touch was important.
1: Tim, you got anything else? No. No, it's been a lot of fun. Steve, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming down memory lane with us and a great conversation, great to pick your brain a little bit and glad to have you around. Maybe we'll keep you in Michigan for the winter this year. Yeah,
2: I think so. I appreciate you having me here. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Coach. That interview with former GVSU baseball coach Steve Lyon brought to you by Coors Light reminding you to drink responsibly, distributed locally by Alliance Beverage. And Tim, it was so fun to reminisce with him. Boy, I feel like we could have talked for over oh, an hour. Gosh, the way. Was, Once we stopped rolling, fine. the stories kept we, coming.
0: We sat here for another half hour, I think, just talking about stories. And that almost could have been a Tim Suggle double interview. Right, we, we could have gone could two have parts. Gone on, yeah. um, but, you know, Steve made Grand Valley State baseball relevant in terms of a northern team being able to compete with the Southern teams at the world series. And and Steve always talked about when he was here, you know, I don't care what we're doing early in the year. You know, we want to be able to compete with those teams at the end of the year. And we can, when we get down to the world series and the, you know, we can play with them. They, you know, are playing, their season starts in February and it, 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 it goes a long time for those guys. Our season started later. He goes by that time, we're equal with them. We're, we are just as warmed up and in tune. Now, early in the year, Steve, Steve wasn't interested in going down there and playing a lot of the schools early on because they were so far ahead of us. Sure. I mean, We are just getting outside for the first time. They got 12, 15 games in. But he said, by the end of the year, we've caught up. And so that's what he really prepped the guys for and just had outstanding success in Montgomery, Alabama at the World Series and competed well played for the national championship, and won a lot of games down there.
1: And I love that. We didn't talk about it during the actual interview on air, but talked about that don't-play-scared mentality Mm -hmm. and the wanting to take the extra base, the willing to be risking of getting thrown out for the reward of stealing a base. They even made him into T-shirts, you were saying.
0: Yeah, safe as death was a a motto that Steve had, and he wanted guys to be aggressive on the the base pass. You know, our best base dealers were during that era – Scott Smith and Spud McKenzie, in terms of, you know, they they took a lot of chances. We stole a lot of bases, and that was, and that was one thing that we really did well. And, you know, when you get down there in the World Series, you're not going to steal as many bases, but that was the mentality getting up there. But we still kept that mentality, and that propelled us to, you know, playing for a national championship and winning games against teams that were really good from the south.
1: I also loved his comment about, you know, he doesn't like just putting up the lineup sheet and saying, okay, here are the guys that made the team Here are the guys that get cut, the importance of having those personal conversations and building relationships. And you talked about it with him a lot during that interview about whether it was the guys that made the team, the guys that didn't relationships were so important to Steve, and I think that's a big reason why when he came into the building today to do this interview, it was almost a palpable atmosphere of people coming from the woodwork. I mean, you had coaches coming from downstairs that we haven't seen in months coming (laughs) upstairs because they got a glimpse of Steve Lyon. They wanted to have a quick conversation with him. He just seemed like he touched so many people and was so – great to so many people and such a great person, such a great connector with people. And that seems like a big trait of his that made him so successful. He built a bond
0: with the with the guys in the team. And he was a hard coach. I mean, he, he coached them hard. He had high expectations. Um, but with that came a lot of success. And once we ha- started having that success when he started, guys really bought in. So all of a sudden, you know, winning, he made winning the most important thing. You know, stats obviously in baseball is important. He made winning the most important thing. Uh, you know, piece of the puzzle. And winning and, 552 and, games, he certainly yeah, I, did just yeah. that. The Anchor of
1: podcast brought to you in part by Uccellos, where great food and sports come together. Brought to you by DTE Energy, know your own power. And also brought to you by Mervine Beverage, reminding you to drink responsibly. All right, let's get to some segments. First up, we have our Team of the Week. It's presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now, more than ever, confidence comes with every card and this week's team of the week is a way back 1973 women's volleyball team led by the legendary Joan Bond they won the first ever GLIAC volleyball championship and would start a run of five consecutive titles to begin the conference's history the team went 20-6 in 1973 on the season including a perfect 4-0 mark against Ferris State that year Joan Bond who started the GVSU volleyball team one of only two coaches in volleyball history here at Grand Valley State and she was immortalized with the Joan Bond wall of champions this past weekend at the Fieldhouse. a tremendous honor for her and a well-deserved team of the
0: week spotlight as well well Joan is basically credited with starting every women's varsity sport here at Grand Valley State um, she personally coached softball basketball volleyball and track and field so she coached those four teams she started in 1966 as, as a teacher Um and started uh programs for those sports from that from that point on and uh you know our success is unparalleled in terms of women's sports here at Grand Valley State 18 national championships and Joan's a big part of that she always said yes to the to the students she found a way to make things work to get teams organized and and she took it up on herself to coach those teams i mean Starting those sports and then coaching four varsity sports at one time in college athletics at a time where Steve talked about how hard it is to coach <laughs> yeah, exactly. one sport exactly and you know and so she she never said no to student at, to the students and always did what she could to help them out and uh, what a great person she was she worked for me in the press box uh, from the year I started in '97. She was my press box watchdog, and uh, nobody got in the press box that didn't have a credential, and nobody made it through the food line that didn't have a credential. That's right. Um, Joan was our personal watchdog, and just a great person. Joan cared about people, and that's why she was so successful. Um, uh, She's so revered across the country, and uh, people look up to her, and really she was a mentor to to many women in the athletic field.
1: Of course, if not for the current pandemic that we're in, the reception would have been much larger (laughs) On Saturday, it had to be very select, socially distant, masks up, but still a great turnout for her. And then the great speeches from Athletic Director Carrie Becker and University President Philomena Mantella, they said some really wonderful things. We posted some of it on our social media, but I just wanted to hit the high notes. I mean, Carrie Becker said the line, she turned yes into I will, and I will into I did. And the way that she not only said yes, but then she followed through personally. Mm -hmm. She made sure that what she told these students that wanted to play sports would get done. She got it done for them. And that was so important. Then President Mantella talking about doing the right thing and the policy will follow and just talking about being a leader and what Joan was able to do and say, I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me I can, I'm going to do this. And then title nine will come along and tell everybody else they have to do what I'm already doing and to have that known and have that presence and have that lore really makes
0: her a legacy that'll last forever. Well, she was doing Title IX uh, operations before Title IX was enacted. I mean, she so that that just goes to show the person that she was, there were no mandates. She was going to find a way to get it done and get these kids competing and, and let them play. And, you know, they played in high school and there was no opportunity in college. Well, I'm going to start an opportunity. And, uh, and we were very successful, by the way. You know, when you talk about Joan, she didn't just start the sports. She was successful women's basketball, softball, and volleyball, you know, um, she won a lot of games um, and, and won a lot of championships for those teams. And that's why
1: the 1973 women's volleyball team that won that GLIAC championship is our Blue Cross Blue Shield Team of the Week. Here for you now more than ever. Confidence comes with every card. And a lot of those victories, a lot of those historic moments because of Jones, we also have our great moment in Laker history. That's brought to us by the Randy Catterberg Agency. And for that, we turn it over to you, Tim.
0: Well, the 2011 baseball team, we had Steve Lyon on today. We're going to talk about that regional in uh, Normal, Illinois. uh, We were the number one seed. We took the regional on the road. We wanted to host it. And uh, it was tough to find a place because the weather's not great. The minor league stadiums here in Michigan were all... Uh, obviously being used. We found normal Illinois, the normal Corn Belters. Uh, they had an artificial surface lights. It was Illinois State is, is located there. Um, it's a independent league team. We took the regional there, and, uh, again, we were 52-5 and five that, that year. And at, going into the regional, that uh, we had won 28 straight games. Ended the regional with a 32-game winning streak. Beat Wayne State for the eighth time that year. We talked about it with Steve. Um, which you, in baseball it's tough to beat a team 8 times in one year and uh Grand Valley did it it was a it was a great atmosphere um watching those guys celebrate on, on the field um C- Corey Phillips had an outstanding uh tournament and he was from Normal Illinois and so that's the moment um of the week and it was a lot of fun seeing those guys 52 and 5 went to the World Series um lost two tough games in the World Series uh to Sonoma State and I think Central Connecticut State so um, didn't end, end the way we wanted, but uh, that was an outstanding year and a lot of fun.
1: That great moment in Laker history brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance and the Randy Catterberg Agency. The Anchor Up podcast also brought to you in part by Fox Motors, as we remind you about that as well. Coming up this week, Big Ten football is back. It'll be exciting to see the region get reinvested into football again. Of course, we've seen it with the SEC. We've seen it with the ACC. But now the Big Ten really makes it hit close to home here in Michigan. So it'll be exciting to see what comes of this weekend. A big one, Michigan-Minnesota, will certainly be a fun game to keep an eye on. And, of course, we'll recap our thoughts on the Big Ten next week. But, Tim, as you look at that game coming up Ooh. this weekend, I know you're excited for Big Ten football to be Absolutely. back. What are, you, what are you thinking right
0: now? they We're just now, what, three days away? Three days away. Um, you know, that's going to be a lot of interesting aspects of that game. You have Joe Milton first collegiate start you know it's a lot different when you're going to minnesota playing at night it's a 7 30 start mm-hmm. it's not going to be warm up in minnesota so you're, you're kicking off the year in probably some inclement weather uh your first start that's a lot of pressure for that kid and uh, their highest high, expect, high expect, expectations rather and uh it'll be interesting uh, pj fleck really has minnesota playing well they got the opt-out receiver back So they return a lot of those guys. Um, That's a great matchup. I think that's an 18 and 21. I think Michigan's 18, Minnesota's 21 in terms of the polls. Uh, But that's a great way to start the year. Ohio State and Nebraska is a a great start. Michigan State plays Rutgers. Um, But, you know, a lot of intrigue. The Big Ten did not leave themselves any wiggle room. You know, Florida's having a COVID breakout right now. Not sure if they're going to play this week. The Big Ten's trying to get eight consecutive weeks played without, you know, uh, a, a week in there for play in terms of, um, uh, if, for cancellations. So uh, they've really, they've kind of put themselves behind the eight ball. The uh, Pac-12 is going to be starting here shortly. And then we're going to have Maxson starting up on that uh, midweek games here in early November. So, you know, it, it's great to see these teams get out there and play. And uh, you, you kind of feel like there's, you're getting back to a sense of normalcy in terms of uh, uh, football and, and fall sports.
1: And one more note for you, Tim. Producer Mitch just passed me along the weather report for Minneapolis, Minnesota on Saturday at eight PM. Twenty-eight degrees. <laughs> precipitation chance thirty one percent. So you're looking at a chance of snow on the season opener for the Big Twelve <laughs> or Big Ten football <laughs> conference rather. So it'll be uh, it'll be very entertaining to see how those games shake out. But you're right, there's no room for error. You've got to get try to get all eight of these games in. We'll see if them waiting pays off. Yeah. The SEC, the ACC gave themselves some wiggle room. They had some bye weeks mixed in so that they could rework mm-hmm. their schedule. The Big 10 instead let's said let's wait. Let's make sure we get everything right and then let's play this abbreviated schedule. It's impossible to know which one was the right decision, but we're going to find out here to see if the Big 10 can pull it off. That'll certainly be a lot of fun. Again, a reminder that you can follow us at GVSU Lakers for all of our social media updates. Football is in full pads starting this Saturday so we'll be sure to have some practice reports for you from that as well as as volleyball gets ready for their November scrimmages we keep up with soccer and of course men's and women's basketball ramping up towards starting a season sometime in January as well so all of these exciting times at Grand Valley State as well as in football as a whole in this Midwest region and we're excited to cover all of that for you here on the Anchor Up podcast another really fun week big thanks to Steve Lyon for coming all the way out here to have the conversation with us a great time reminiscing Getting to hear some of his uh, philosophies. He was so fun to talk to a guy that I'd never met personally, but could certainly immediately understand why he's a member of the GVSU Hall of Fame. Tim, as always, a great show with you. Great Had a job. lot of fun. Looking forward to next week. Thanks, Jake. All right. That was our show, the Anchor Up Podcast, brought to you by Metro Health, the official sports medicine provider of GVSU athletics. Your health, our passion. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. And as always, Anchor Up.